right. Hi, everybody. I think we're Hello. ready to go. Um, so, so welcome. We are here to talk about the state of extended reality technologies and all the products and companies getting built up around them and what that is going to mean for business and society. Um, so happy to have such a good crowd here. We are going to have some Q&A at the end, so that'll happen on the mics over there. So if you have questions, um, please line up and save them for the end. Um, quick introduction. So I'm Scott Rupp. I'm going to be your moderator today. I am the co-founder of a venture capital firm called Bitcraft. Bitcraft specializes in investing in video games and interactive entertainment at the very early stages. And um, it's a cool place to be an investor because that tends to be where consumer behavior and technology changes first. So we think about games almost as a petri dish um, where you get a signal on what's going to happen uh, in other categories as well. We have a team of about 20 people around the world, uh, over 100 investments across five funds. And I would say that we are in, but not all in, uh, on XR. We probably have five-ish investments uh, across the funds in this space to give you a feel of our, you know, um, where we're at mentally about it. So um, without any further ado, let me ask our other panelists to say hello and please introduce yourselves, tell us about your background and also the products that you're working on now. Great. Hi, I'm Nenea Reeves and I'm CEO of TRIP. And TRIP is an XR wellness application. We're a consumer product, but we also have several active clinical studies in progress, including we recently sent a bunch of devices down to Antarctica at Palmer Station, which um, excited all the nerds on our team very much to be involved in a NASA study. I come from the video game um, industry. I was at Electronic Arts. I ran tech at a very early mobile gaming breakout um, company called Jamdat that EA acquired, and then I was at a cloud gaming company called Gaikai that Sony acquired. I was an early investor in Oculus, and that's what got me interested in VR and looking at the early experiences were mostly focused on scaring the crap out of people, and I had thought, wow, if you could scare people that easily, could you help them feel better? as well, and that's where the idea for TRIP emerged. And we're a proud uh, Bitcraft portfolio company. So I'm Jerry Ellsworth, CEO of Tilt5. Um, we're a hardware company. We build AR glasses for tabletop gaming, and specifically optimized for that. So you wear our glasses, sit around the table with your friends, play video games, play board games. Um, a bit about my background, I've done quite a few things, fun things like rockets and uh, race car driver at one point. Uh, um, worked at Valve Software, which gave me the bug for XR, so helped them start their hardware R&D department. Um, worked on the technology, went into the HTC Vive. Uh, I've done some startups in the past, did an XR startup called Cast AR. Uh, learned a lot of lessons about what to do and what not to do in a startup and uh, started Tilt 5 a few years ago. I'm proud to say we're shipping our product now, and uh, we just published our first game. Yeah, I see some thumbs up out there. Thank you. Um, you can check it out. And we're also a proud member of the Big Craft family. Thanks to Moritz. Oh, <laughs> no, that, <laughs> that, that one was Scott, actually. Um, 
my name is Moritz. I'm a partner and the head of gaming at Lightspeed Venture Partners. Um, we're a $20 billion uh, firm, roughly, with so far 150 exits. We're trying to add more, uh, currently about 500 portfolio companies. Um, we've started a gaming sector practice very recently. Um, Lightspeed's not been a stranger to gaming investments. We've invested in gaming since 2006. Um, so far, about 30 of them, including some prominent ones like Epic Games. Um, but we're now taking that to another level. I know that's a really lame pun. Um, and they're, they're crazy enough to um, let me guide uh, our new efforts on the gaming front. Um, actually learned from the best, uh, which includes Scott. Uh, just uh, was shipped over from Bitcraft Ventures and really enjoyed the last three years there. Scott and I actually invested together in Trip and Tilt5. So, uh, you know, for full disclosure, there's, there's some ongoing relationships here, but we are true fans and supporters. And, um, yeah, looking forward to discussing XR today. We did not pay for this panel, even though uh, <laughs> it's obvious, the, the, all the conflicts here. Um, thank you all for the intros. Uh, so maybe let's start with a bit of a temperature check uh, on the state of the XR market. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, we can maybe do that well through the hardware lens, what's happening out there in hardware. And I think everybody's been reading um, about Meta spending tens of billions of dollars to build up the Oculus platform, which has been great uh, for the ecosystem, but now under quite a lot of pressure from their shareholders to cut that back uh, in a big way. We have Microsoft uh, essentially killing HoloLens, kind of an interesting statement about XR in the enterprise market. But on the other side of the ledger, quite a few uh, exciting device shipments happening and, uh, and maybe a big announcement from Apple in June at WWDC. So uh, how do you all sort of see the state of affairs? How do you read these signals? How do you, how do you kind of net things out? I'll jump in on that. Uh, you know, the way that I look at it is very optimistically because I see a lot of similarities to the early days of mobile, pre-iPhone, pre-Android, which really started in the year 2000 there was a lot of chaos, a lot of competition to own the head, hand yeah. in that transition from desk to hand uh, computing. And you had so many devices with different profiles, no standardization. We're very fortunate in XR that Unity and uh, Unreal provide some platform standardization. But even then, Jamdat, the company that I uh, ran tech at in the early days of mobile, we still built a $100 million business in all that chaos because there's lots of opportunity if you can figure out how to get across multiple devices. And there were a lot of people who pulled out of working on mobile, I think too early, like Microsoft. Uh, and you saw a lot of people make attempts and then pull back but eventually we got to Android and iOS. And I think something similar is going to happen. And there's been so many similarities that we're just staying the course and building the platform in a way that allows um, interoperability, cross-platform uh, um, distribution. And uh, I think we will emerge from this as an industry with a very exciting ecosystem to drive new innovation 
with spatial computing. So I believe in that future, and I think it will show up. Um, there's a few things that need to arrive for that to happen, but uh, uh, I'm optimistic. So I think this is kind of the wheat and the chaff moment for the industry on the devices. Yeah, I think you're spot on with um, uh, comparing it to mobile phones. You can look back at you know early home computers, the same type of thing. Mm -hmm. Very interesting, huge companies emerged out of that back in the day. You know, mm -hmm. EAs and Activisions and there was a lot of opportunity, you know. I just love looking back at the history of those um, companies. Like these young kids got into this space, exploring it. They were excited. Actually, I think the young kids are going to be driving this uh, industry forward, probably um, more so than uh, other folks in the industry. And when I look at companies, Microsoft, and a lot of these companies, Magic Leap um, and Facebook, there's a lot of boiling of the ocean going on, mm -hmm. where they're trying to make one device that's pretty you know, early um, fit into too many, you know, markets at once. You know, back in the early home computer days, you know, your home computer was going to teach your kids, you were going to do your home finance on it, you were going to become scientists, whatever, and what we did on it was we just played games. Um, so what we're seeing right now, I think, is um, Classic big company can't figure out how to innovate, and they're having to retract back. And then you have smaller companies that are figuring it out, figuring out how to standardize, mm -hmm. figuring out how to make the user experience, finding a vertical that makes sense to an audience that will buy it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and the negativity is also pretty consistent with what we saw early in mobile. When we were fundraising for Jamdap, people would laugh us out of the room and say, no one will ever want to play a game on their cell phone. All they want to do is talk on their phones. I bet 40 people are playing a game right now in this room. <laughs> and Moritz, how would you kind of characterize where we're at relative to other gaming platforms? Or Yeah, I, I, one thing to add, I think if we're drawing the mobile analogy, it's almost impossible not to mention Apple and what, what consumer moment could stem from that. Like, you know, as investors, you know, undoubtedly being excited about the future of AR and VR and also being very excited about what we can do with it today. I mean, I just got my PSVR 2 and, and, and it's amazing. It's pretty awesome. Um, but, but for us, it's, it's all about timing and trying to figure out whether there are big billion dollar bets to be made in roughly kind of like a five to seven year time frame. And I think I, our consensus is we're not quite there yet, and so we're, we're cautiously exploring. Um, but I think there will be all eyes on the Apple launch, just because, as you said, like it, it's, it's very hard to get the technology right, but it's also very hard to get the user experience right in a way that it appeals to the mainstream and not just to nerds. Um, sorry. You also looked at me when you said young people, so... Um, no, it was when we said nerds, but that's okay. <laughs> it's a compliment. No? Um, Indeed. So, so for us, I think there'll be, there'll be a moment where I could possibly see ourselves leaning in a little bit more. Until then, there are interesting um, investments to be made, and you know, we've, we've explored the space. So we'll, we'll talk about that later, too, what, what is investable today versus yeah. what might be investable. But I want to remind you that when the iPhone first came out, so many people said, I will not give up my BlackBerry mm -hmm. keyboard. And it took a while for that, for iteration, 
to, you know, drive more adoption. So just to manage some expectations. I'm very excited about the Apple announcement. I hope they do it. It's going to legitimize, you know, the whole industry instead of just crazy meta dumping billions of dollars out there, you know, kind of no. face planting on some of their efforts. And uh, also the Snap Snapdragon platform too. I'm pretty excited about. Yeah, it's the whole stack. You know, mm -hmm. it has to be developed, and that, you know, chipsets, optics, um, all of that's being developed right now, thanks to big and small companies. And it's important to have a great user experience. You, you can have one piece of it and still not have a business. Yeah, I think that's part VCs miss a lot, right? Because we're pretty far from hardware these days as an industry. Really understand yeah, what's going on. We heard that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so, so one concerning indicator I wanted to ask you all about. Uh, there was a New York Times article a couple months ago. Mm. I forgot what the headline was, but the point was, you know, an empty metaverse is a depressing place, mm. and <clears throat> which is true. Um, but what caught me in that piece was uh, some internal metadata. You know, we all talk about what is it, 30 million installed base of devices, something around there. But there was a data point in there that the sort of active user base of that installed base was quite small. That mm. effectively retention for people who bought the hardware was, was, was pretty awful. Um, and I'm curious, do, do you have any data to the contrary? And, yeah. and if not, how do you read that? Like, is that, a, is that like not enough good content yet? Is it a problem with the product? Or what, what's your interpretation? Well, we, I believe that what we're doing is one of the great native use cases for VR. We don't focus on simulation, essentially. We're trying to create experiences you can't have in the real world. We had 37% of our monthly active users last month have been using TRIP 12 months or longer. And when you look at like a 3% retention rate on most wellness apps, I think that's stunning. And... So we've, uh, last January, not, not this year, but the previous year, we acquired the Evolver community as well because we saw a lot of crossover from our users to these live events. And I was very moved recently, MIT Technology Review wrote about our grief groups, which are our most popular groups, which is really interesting. I wouldn't have thought that. And the writer of the article had actually attended the groups for four months because she was going through her own personal loss and wrote very movingly about it. And so I think that um, what that highlights for me is this, there's something inherently supportive about the anonymity of an avatar from a mental health standpoint that people, especially men, feel safe enough to open up and express difficult feelings. If we can, as an industry, find these organic use cases that uh, are inherent to the platform in much the same way that mobile facilitated whole new industries like the influencer economy, the gig economy, that didn't exist prior, that's what's going to drive the adoption. So I feel like we're onto something with where we're exploring these early days. We have a little bit of freedom to, you know, people are already starting to copy us. Um, but I think there's a huge opportunity in mental health and wellness on this platform. And then we're exploring how to gamify that, really, coming from the game industry. Because a lot of healthcare companies, you see them do lamification. 
They don't know anything about game balancing or, and, you know, we all know working in that industry how hard that is. So I'll pass it to Jerry because she already, she knows a lot about it too. Oh, I, it, this feels like the classic early um, adopter, early majority chasm that you have to get through. Mm -hmm. There's just so many little facets that have to be right to cross that chasm. You know, on the hardware front, you know, for years and years, you've had headsets that you only want to use for 20 minutes or so. And you want to rip them off, you know, and um, experiences that aren't deep enough to get you coming back every single day. Uh, we're starting to see data come back from some of our partners that are doing creativity tools, like our tools, mm -hmm. and they're having session times of several hours with our system, and we're like, wow, I can't even imagine, you know, doing that in, uh, you know, a VR headset, and that's really exciting to hear. That's what we dreamed about when we designed our system was, was that. We're already hearing from um, our customers, like, I took it over to my father's, and we just sat there, and we created a, a scene together, and we built things with Figment XR. You know, my father never wanted to do anything in this space before, and those are some of the, mm -hmm. the key moments that are going to help us cross that. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, there's probably hundreds of those little tiny things that you have to knock the edge off before um, it goes really mass market. Um, Going back yeah. to Apple, I suspect that they, you know, if they think they're ready to launch, they have probably one killer app, which is mm -hmm. going to um, break down those barriers. Likely, likely fitness. Fit fitness. Like yeah. fitness like I think fitness yeah. was a surprise, though, uh, um, to emerge. They were just thinking games. They were surprised uh, by that, and you know, I think that we got on uh, the the VR platforms mostly because. I was looking for audience, and I begged. I begged to get on there. Yeah, yeah I mean, to, to come back to your question, Scott, like, is it, is it the hardware or is it the content? My gut feeling, kind of teasing XR apart into VR and AR, I think on the VR side right now, the hardware is pretty good. The hardware has also seen most of the capital and, and R&D with, you know, the, the prominent big tech companies driving innovation there. And those users who find experiences that they like, they're actually pretty sticky and they're also pretty high paying. I think at least on the gaming side, average revenue per user on, on VR is higher than PC, console, certainly mobile. Um, mm. And so, and, and honestly, I, for people who have tried and tested the latest generation of devices, it's pretty amazing. Um, and wh why is maybe the content not there? I think the content is harder to fund and, and that ecosystem to some extent relies on us, for us the conundrum is, would you rather fund a game that has a potential audience of three billion, i.e. a mobile game, or one with an active install base of, I don't know, 20 million, that might even be optimistic, on, on the VR side. Um, and so that's a real consideration, um, but content is getting better, content, more content is becoming available, also it's easy to demonize Meta and Co, but they're also putting out a lot of grants for developers to bring their ideas to life in the absence of investors storming there. So, you know, it's also, I think, important to recognize the beneficial work for the, environment, for the, the entire sector that's done by, by big tech, in addition to developing the hardware. On the uh, content side, related to hardware, you know, uh, we just released our product, got shipping in September, not very many units installed, and it's a bit of a struggle for us to get, you know, larger games on our system. So it's this, um, 
flywheel that's really hard to get going. But what's interesting, if we look back at VR, you know, it was an amazing day when the first company made over a million dollars on a VR game. Mm. And there, there's a big opportunity once there's a big enough install space, say in the AR space, where a small player can come in and have a million dollar um, application without, you know, the, the same spend as a AAA game title. And that, yeah. we're starting to see that in VR. There's more um, developers. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And just to just to be clear for everyone, I was actually about to go to XR gaming too. Tilt Five is XR gaming that exists today. So you can have your glasses on. You have a mixed reality experience. It's social. There are games to play. Pre-orders, orders. Oh, you can order, and it'll show up in a couple of days now. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> So we've, we've talked a little bit about lessons from mobile. I, I think there's probably more mm. historical lessons we can tease out. Jerry, you're a little bit of a VR historian, if I can characterize you that way. You, you've seen a lot of cycles in XR already. I think it's interesting that um, VR just won't die, right? It's had like three <laughs> hype cycles and it keep, keeps coming back. Something in there I think is interesting. But w w what have you... Uh, learned from these past cycles that can kind of inform where we are today and what are the things that might give us another leg up? Uh, yeah, it's interesting. You know, I got into VR probably 13 years ago at Valve Software and that was, you know, after probably two other big ups and downs had happened. There was some in the 80s on the more professional side and then we saw our first entries into like you know, uh, video game companies trying to do it, Nintendo and, you know, Sega were building VR headsets and you had location-based VR and it all faded away. Um, but at, as I kind of watched, like, VR ebb and flow, like, I'd hear people talk about, like, well, VR's dead, like, it's, you know, <laughs> and you hear that every couple years. And I, I just think those are smaller little ebbs and flows. It's not like the bigger ones that happened, you know, say, in the 90s when we weren't even remotely close to have a having a good experience. I think that follows a lot of industries. You know, just being a historian, if you ever come by our office, it's full of old tech and video game consoles and things, and I love looking at that. You know, the first video game, uh, home consumer video game, was 1972. Mm. Took a long time before Atari 2600 took off and the whole industry were propelled you know, forward, but then in, there was a video game crash in 1984, and everyone was like, well, that was a fad, it's gone. Yep. And we just feel the same things over PC and over. gaming was dead yeah. in 2005, I think, and now look at Riot. And, yeah. So when I was at Valve, for mm -hmm. instance, we were looking at handheld uh, gaming devices. Oh, yeah, 3DS. that died too. Yeah, yeah. That was, <laughs> 3DS was uh, in the decline, and no one's going to ever want to play yeah, yeah, yeah. 3DS, and then Switch comes out and knocks us across the head. We didn't even yep. see it coming. Yeah, Switch slapped. Yep. Yeah, Switch slapped. <laughs> yeah, that was funny. Um, I think one thing I'd like to say is I think it's wrong to think of it like VR, AR, mobile platform. I look at it more like reality layering. We just launched a, a feature on the Quest where the camera opens up and we give you AR rewards for using the application three days within the same week so you can uh, change the way the world looks around you by taking care of yourself. And now we're expanding that into mobile AR on the Niantic platform in a really cool gamified way. 
So you can think about it more like from the lens of our value proposition, which is to support you. There are different ways to support you with layered reality. It might be audio only at moments. It might be a quick overlay on, on what you might need in that moment to help you get to the next place or the next activity that you need a little more connection to breath, or you might need to dive into full immersion. So that's the way we've always thought of it. That's the way we built our platform. We launched with the mobile app. We also knew that mobile was going to be a key driver on ongoing engagement because you just are not, we're not at the point where you're carrying your, your VR device around all day. Although I met someone the other day who told me he has trip with him all the time. And it really was very moving to me. And so I think that has helped us stay innovative and also think about how do we meet people where they're at. We just uh, experimented with a, a live meditation group in Pop One, you know, and we launched a kids' zone in Rec Room. And so I would encourage people to think more about this multi platform approach because I think that's what's going to drive the adoption. We did, and I'll just stop with this um, to plant a seed. We did a proof of concept with a very big operator recently on streaming from their edge a version of Trip that cannot be played on the Quest, but it was playing on the Quest. And so think about like cloud gaming of the past and how that edge delivery will drive the adoption of very lightweight headsets that can have very deep, rich experiences. We demonstrated that um, very recently, and it's just the beginning of the ecosystem that will get us to this layered reality. I like your concept of layered reality. I think that's really important. Like For many years, we haven't had a new palette to work with. You know, our phones, it doesn't matter how many more pixels they put on the screen. You know, PlayStation 5, has got phenomenal graphics, but that really, you know, isn't as exciting as it was maybe even 15 years ago to have these bumps up in um, the fidelity, but to have this, you know, some new layers as developers or gamers or, you know, people doing productivity apps to start working. Yeah, you had to think about what's native. Like, I remember we would sit around as a startup at Jamdad and worry about what, what will happen when EA or Activision enter the space. And they were trying to cram FIFA into a mobile phone, right? And all this, we could see it wasn't about FIFA. It was about pulling out the phone while you're standing in line at the bank or listening to a panel that's kind of boring and playing uh, Snake, Snake or, yeah. or Bejeweled or Tetris, right, which were our games. And so it's thinking natively about this spatial view of experience. That's really, because that, the companies that won in mobile were thinking about mobility, not trying to take one platform and reduce it down to another. Yeah, I... I, I totally with you there. I, th I think one of the challenges VR had was the first stuff on the shelf content-wise was, you know, these kind of pretty straight translations. Yeah, yeah, stories and games. It wasn't that Why do we want to recreate all the crappy yeah, stuff totally. we've built here? Like, yeah. take your digital twin to a virtual mall to buy digital yeah. sneakers? Like, is that all we can come up with? 
Sounds like a, it's a COVID, COVID use case. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm glad you brought up edge computing too, and that because I, I wanted to ask Moritz to talk more about like investability, right? Like you guys have a big pile of cash um, you could deploy. What what would really unlock it from a, a technology hmm. catalyst perspective? Like if you think about edge computing or AI or, or anything else. Yeah. So I think on the on the VR side, the the technological chasm is crossed. I think hardware is good enough and, and more content experiences and maybe the Apple entry will push it into the mainstream. I think that I'd, I'd give that the check mark. There don't seem to be hard problems yet to be solved. Um, what is investable on the VR side? I think less so, at least or gaming, you know, what I'm looking at specifically, I think less so individual games and game studios and maybe even publishers who are chasing successes and hits that are somewhat cyclical in an industry that just doesn't have a big install base yet. Mm. It's great to be a top-selling VR game right now, but it doesn't knock it out of the park just given how many users you can reach. That will change going forward, but the coupling between being successful today and being successful in five to ten years I think is pretty loose. A lot of the standout hits innovate on clever mechanics that are easily copied by others. Take Gorilla Tech, for example. Um, and so what I loved in, in VR are those infrastructure companies and platform companies, infrastructure companies that can help the entire industry advance and grow with it. And then on the platform side, and you know, that was part of our thesis investing in, in Trip, this was a business that was leading in its space. It made a lot of sense. Meditation is something that lends itself to the first-person view. It was just re a really interesting case to look at. Um, but it was also run as a sticky, growing business that month by month would grow with the install base. So here it was easy to see how a leader today would also be the leader in five years. Mm -hmm. um, so there's a big part of our, our investment thesis there, and I think that's a great example of a of, I think, hopefully, a smarter bet. Um, yeah. Thank you. Uh, and then on the XR side, you know, tr true XR gaming, I guess, with the exception of Tilt 5, simply doesn't exist as far as I'm concerned. Um, when will we have XR glasses that are not just info displays but mixed reality? I mean, I, you know, everyone talks about edge computing and, and AI, but like there's also, it seems like there's still hard problems on just the optics it's and the ready, physics yeah. side yeah. that it's always five years away. <laughs> and maybe in five years, it'll be five years away too. That's true. Yeah, you can't break the laws of physics. That's the challenge with uh, our dream of super lightweight glasses. You're just walking around the world and, yeah. you know, monsters are jumping out of buildings and... It's got to be incremental improvement. Uh, I think it'll. I think though, if you think of it like what we were doing in cloud gaming, where you're creating a thin client that is just traffic shaping, because all the compute power is on in the cloud, so you're dealing with uh, network packet loss, and the way that Qualcomm's creating their chipset to triangulate that where you almost have like a local brick that you can interpolate. It's a completely different way for developers to think about making apps. But there are entities that have the infrastructure to provide this. AWS, Stadia, 
if they turn it into a platform. Sony also has it with Gaikai, with the, that powers the PlayStation Now platform. So if there are developers in the room, I would think about how to learn a different way to think about application where the compute power exists somewhere else and you're really dealing with controller inputs that are bi-directional video streams, essentially, very low latency. And you have to do a lot of um, interpolation, essentially. But I think AI is going to take that to a next level you know, where you can fill in some of the imaging that might uh, be lost through that packet loss. So yep. remember I said that? I think that's what's going to revolutionize this whole thing. Yeah. AI-enabled layered reality. We got a new VC buzzword. Yeah, yeah. This okay, is awesome. thank you. But does it have blockchain <laughs> also? Don't forget, yeah, Web3. Um, oh, don't forget Web3. <laughs> that's funny. Um, so, so back to uh, Jerry and Anaya. So we're kind of at an interesting industry moment, mm. right, where there's a, a lot of dynamism and a lot of change coming. We're, yeah, we're, and a lot of banking yeah, issues. Yeah, yeah. banking issues. But, yeah. but, but, but to your point about the bank uh, issues, we're in a very hard macro yeah. moment and a tough startup moment. So yeah. what does that mean for you two as operators? Like, how are you handling things now and how are you trying to take advantage of a don't, not letting a crisis go to waste? Yeah, well, there's some benefit to, you know, this not being my first rodeo kind of has helped, you know, because you see a lot of peaks and valleys and you learn how to weather the storm. I knew very early on that we needed recurring revenue to be able to be supported by the venture community. And so we launched as the very first subscription product on um, Oculus Store. And gamers love subscription. We got like one-star reviews every 10 seconds because of it, you know? <laughs> and, um, but it was the right decision we had to hold on to because it has helped us weather a lot of ebbs and flows. I mean, it's the reason why we continue to grow and we have users who, you know, I also think, here's a different point of view on subscription. You know, when you go free, you have to earn somehow, and you end up turning your users into data slaves, essentially. And I feel that the subscription business model, at least in the early days of a platform, keep you honest as a business, because if you don't provide ongoing value, the user always has, the, the customer always has the option to cancel. You know, so it keeps us continuing to evolve and support our community. And they're very vocal. That's why I love gamers. They tell you exactly how much you suck, and they give you long missives on how you can improve. And we needed that kind of hardening over the last two years. Uh, so that's kind of the way I look at it is we're just working on hardening our service so that when the multiplying event shows up, we're ready to go. You know, and... Uh, uh, yeah, that's how I think about it. Cool. Yeah, we think about it very similar. Um, you know, Tilt 5 has not been an easy ride. Um, it's a very difficult product that we put together. We yeah. had to solve a, dozens of miracles just to get the product onto the market. How many people have tried Tilt 5 in the room? It's really cool. Yeah. Hallway hey. demos after, mm -hmm. if you have time, Jerry. 
All of you that haven't yeah. bought yours, now you need to go get it. But uh, <laughs> Pre-order. <laughs> um, yeah, we had a lot of miracles to solve, and there wasn't a lot of money. Uh, we were raising money during COVID, so mm. we had to really hone everything we were doing with a very small team. And then this macro economy came about, and it's been tough to raise money, so we were just ready for it. And uh, it's amazing. We go in and talk to investors and strategics, and they are astounded, like, oh, you're making money on every unit you sell? We never see that in a startup with mm -hmm. such you know, small amount of money in it. And mm -hmm. um, that's something that I didn't have in my first startup that we did. I came out of Valve Software and landed um, $15 million in my lap and put together a weak team, and we burned through it in no time. And so sometimes you need that um, kind of stress to as you say, keep you honest or keep you, your yeah. eye on the ball. And that also helped to stay hyper-focused on an audience that we can address and market to and sell to. And it made a lot of decisions uh, much easier for us. Yeah. So I also like the comments you all have made about the experiences that are not just native to the platform, but sort of only possible on the platform right. and sort of first-time experiences for people. If, if we try to bring this to life for the audience a little more on use cases that we think we'll sing, like we're a few years down the road and it's XR is a little bit more integrated into our daily lives, like what, what are the things that you're excited about that you think will take off across, you know, work, play, social? Well, I think one of the key drivers of getting devices on people's heads is obviously cool looking form factor that you know, moves from uh, helmet to glasses. And uh, remember, the, whenever you see those conference pictures of the cell phone coming out of the briefcase, we're beyond that, but not much beyond it, right? And everybody laughs. I think we're gonna look even at the Quest one day and crack up, right? And when I started working in mobile gaming, I had a Game Boy, a TI calculator, a Canon camera, an MP3 player, and a cell phone all in my bag, and even a Palm Pilot with a, a keyboard that flipped out. It was like a transformer keyboard. And you know, now that has all converged into something I call my phone, I think there will be something, a day where we just go, where are my glasses? I can't leave the house. That being said, if you look at the patents, you look at Google's acquisition of North, you look at some of the patents that Apple have for dynamic vision correction, that auto-correct, it's going to be something as utility as that. Because remember, mobile phone, the first buyers of it in the household were mom just needs one in case the car broke down and the kids were grabbing it to play snake. So it wasn't like it is now. It was a transition. And I think that you need something very utility-like dynamic vision correction with data-enabled lenses. That's going to be the tipping point where everyone... 70% of the world's population need vision correction. I disagree. I think we're still in the brick phone era. I love a disagreement. <laughs> No, I think we're squarely in the brick phone uh, era. But, mm -hmm. yeah, the good news is we're going to move past all of that. Uh, the areas that I'm super excited about these days, just looking at what um, people are resonating with our system, clearly games. You know, that's, it's really exciting getting groups of people together around the table, having 
this new gaming experience where there's kind of like meta layers on top of it. It's less about the game sometimes, more about like how I'm griefing Moritz over here. And uh, that's a, an interesting new dynamic that hasn't been possible in the living room before. Um, other areas that are really exciting is um, folks are really compelled by all of the sports spectating and training applications that are showing up on our platform. Uh, whenever people see these, it, it's really inspiring for them to think about the future when they're going to watch an NFL game on their table. And it's completely possible today with some of the partners we're working with, and hopefully it'll be out on the market soon. And then in the just pure artistic space, um, that's the one that surprised me the most. Um, I mean, we had Tilt Brush, you know, um, for VR, and it was quite popular, but the bonding that I'm seeing amongst families just having fun drawing and painting together around the table um, is really heartwarming, and it's, it's one of those things that I believe is going to lead to uh, ushering in, like, you know, early computers, you couldn't get grandma and grandpa to use it, but you had yeah. to have that you know, kind of stepping stone solitaire or something for them to play. Right. And we're starting to see some... Solitaire is the killer app for every platform, actually. Yeah. 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 It is. We have a, a solitaire game that we're gifting soon ah. uh, in mixed reality. But, yeah, it's, it, think about it. Every platform... It jammed out, had jammed out solitaire. It was our number three revenue-generating product. Yeah. I mean, so break, I know Brick Moritz. Breaker on the BlackBerry was pretty killer also. I know Moritz is dying to talk about XR pets. Come on. What do you got? Don't out me like that. Um, <laughs> I, I think on, um, I mean, I, on, on VR, hard for me to see how it wouldn't stay gaming or something that looks like a game but is, is an otherwise you know, immersive social experience in, in terms of killer apps in, in the near term. And on, on XR, I mean, also, you can, you can look at what's already happening in B2B, right? I think info displays make a lot of sense, just like for navigation or, or data overlay. I mean, uh, I think in our write-up, we had these examples of, you know, you go, you go out dating, and then per facial information, it pulls the LinkedIn profile, the estimated network. Credit score. Credit <laughs> score, et cetera. Um, I think that's, uh, that brings us a little close to, to um, Broken Mirror. Um, <laughs> But there, there is a lot of value in, in, in enriching the, the real world. What do you think about, like, because I, I, at home I have four monitors on my desk. To me, that seems like it's a no-brainer will be the first use cases that I can put on a comfortable headset and have eight monitors all around me and a yeah. Johnny Mnemonic kind of keyboard, right? Yeah, I, I thought I was scarred from my banking days, but I only have three. <laughs> well, I think the challenge with that, however, <laughs> is like shareability. And, you know, we're starting to see more shareability. Like till five, it's really easy and native to just share an experience between multiple users. Like you pull your phone out and you hey, look at this or come over to my monitor. Mm. That's one of the friction points with replacing your monitor completely with a VR headset, for instance. But I think there are solutions once everyone has headsets that, that yeah. can be bridged. Mm. So la last topic before we open it up, um, and Moritz, you, you started poking at it with Black Mirror. Um, mm. Last time we had a big technology shift, we, we got smartphones and social media and we had a lot of 
now knock-on effects we're seeing um, mm -hmm. on kids and mental health and so on. Yeah. Um, we're inevitably going to have some new problems uh, coming out of XR. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And lo love to hear your thoughts on this. Where, where are we going to have some danger zones, whether it be related to ethics, uh, social issues? Biometric data collection. Biometrics, yeah, yeah. yeah and, and governance of the metaverse, you know, bank mm -hmm. runs in the metaverse. Where, where are we headed with all this? Yeah, very, very. I, I think it's important to be involved actively on the uh, ethics committees early. We represent um, uh, sort of the business point of view on a few of them because even in our best interests, companies are going to make mistakes and with the best intentions and we need to be mindful about what we don't know. And, um, and there's some different data collection scenarios that we haven't been exposed to with mobile that we will be with XR. Like if you look at Jeremy Balanson's research where there, you, he was able to identify an individual with a digital fingerprint just from their head tracking data uh, in, within 45 seconds. And, you know, Trip has some patents on collecting heart rate and respiratory rate from the accelerometer. And, um, uh, and we're, we haven't launched those commercially yet because we're, we're trying to figure out some of the ethics issues related to it before we do. And, um, and how to have full transparency with the user on it. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a tricky topic. Um, there are a few organizations that are actively driving forward mm -hmm. work there. Um, there's a Metaverse Standards yep. Forum, right? And then um, the World Economic Forum has pooled um, some of the leading tech companies, but also government players together and is trying to come up with frameworks for interoperability interoperability, identity. Some in, of us will do the opposite of yeah. that, too. <laughs> um, so I, my, my personal opinion um, is when we're talking about games and like somewhat confined environments and, and you know, small little fun experiences that grow to be, I don't know, medium-sized maybe if they become interoperative social worlds of, of some nature that maybe looks as much as like World of Warcraft or not, not much beyond that. I think completely privately run is probably totally fine uh, for mm -hmm. that. Um, and by all means, like if, if someone pushes those content experiences out, they should be allowed to control them and harvest the, the profits of those. Um, the more it looks like complete virtual worlds where you know, this becomes a little bit closer to what people actually have in mind when they think about the legendary metaverse or multiverse or, or whatever, once people start making important decisions about their life in an alternate reality, such as buying property there or maybe even deciding to pursue a career in a virtual world uh, versus in, in, in a physical one, maybe an, a digital architect or a digital realtor, I think it's hard to see how that would be a good idea without some custodial oversight. So I, I think that should be neither private. I also don't think it should be purely decentralized in a, in a kind of like pure blockchain fashion because it just, wh why should that look different ideally from the physical world? I mean, we've come to the current setup uh, with governments and, and nations uh, after much consideration and, and 
you know, human organization. And we've seen it this weekend too. Again, I mean, Silicon Valley Bank is an example. Like you, sometimes you just need to have someone who steps in and can get things right. And I think that should neither be private companies that should also not be pure computational logic that needs to be an, an, an authority with um, decision power. And I think that's perfectly fine. And it works quite well in the real world, <laughs> you know, not perfectly, but I, I think it's the best solution. That's my personal opinion. I think this is gonna be the big civil war that we're gonna see, which is decentralized versus centralized, because again, like I would caution us against t using the metaverse to rebuild all the crappy institutions and regulatory bodies, et cetera, that we have built in the real world. I know we need safety standards. I've been the executive at game companies responsible for the law enforcement team and the trust and safety teams, and a lot of things happen when people can communicate together that you do need to provide support for, especially the vulnerable population like children. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, there are standards that will have to emerge with, but it's going to be really interesting to see how do you regulate this or not, and is there a way that the two can coexist, walled gardens and decentralized um, communities as well? I agree. A lot of mistakes are going to be made um, during the next few decades, especially considering how much information can be collected from a head-worn device. Yeah, um, it's a lot more. As well as... Um, yeah presenting information to users at the precise time that they're most emotionally susceptible. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of opportunity for manipulation. You know, you can go way far out in the future, you know, even uh, bad actors in there. I'm not so sure I want to be wearing my XR glasses and have virtual, you know, people jumping out in front of my self-driving car. And have me or just the even the ability to abuse in a way that um, is not totally... Um, transparent, do you know? Yeah. Jerry, for president of the metaverse, you can yeah. announce it. South by and <laughs> I will years. vote for her. Um, I will trust vote. Me. Don't do it. Interesting. <laughs> Thank you for those uh, comments. Really, a little bit mind bending. Let's um, let's open it up for anybody who has questions. Please uh, head to the mic. <laughs> has a contract with the United States government right now to, mm -hmm. to flush out AR for training and maintenance type stuff. Mm -hmm. Those day-to-day -day applications are areas where I think that mixed reality really becomes a factor. And what it's you all, already. Yeah. yeah, what you all have predominantly been talking about is in the entertainment and mm -hmm. interactive component of it. When do you think the nexus between those types of applications, i.e. for the U.S. government, U.S. military, fit into the applications you guys talked about predominantly and when do the, the when does the programming start to become that dual use programming? We're we're already working with some government entities right now on the wellness side and uh, but you know there's something very interesting about training with XR. Information is retained differently and um, uh, because of the immersion as well as um, uh, it, it being available in real time. So I think that's probably going to be a very um, early adoption uh, you'll see of these devices. 
I look at hardware. I mean, the world's best enterprise device is the iPhone, right? So mm. um, I, I think there's no time, right, that's specific for enterprise versus entertainment versus other utilities. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's, there's going to be utility for different industries and uh, different devices throughout their evolution are just going to solve problems. Uh, for instance, our device, we designed it specifically for games, but we're inundated with non-gaming companies buying our system and doing stuff with it. Uh, we just take the approach of, like, if you try to chase every single industry out there, you'll make a device that doesn't suit anybody. Yeah, you can't do that as a startup. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. and so if it solves their problem, that's great. We're very happy for them. If it doesn't, they'll just have to wait until we evolve till it does. Um. You all represent uh, the role that private finance can play in kind of growing the, the sector. I'm really interested to understand what do you think the role and opportunity is for public finance in this space? Mm. And specifically, where would you like to see research and development investing? Mm -hmm. Where do you think that could really help the sector? We've received several grants already. We have um, an SBIR grant from the NIH on using uh, virtual reality and substance use disorder. Um, there's uh, some research activity we're doing with the New York Office of Mental Health um, to support the severely mentally ill uh, in the state hospital system. We've been working with them for several years. So I think there's actually quite a bit of funding already happening on the research side, as well as a lot of government agencies, the VA has done a lot with um, virtual reality specifically. And uh, uh, I actually had a really cool experience. I was invited by the DOD to come and talk to them about how to use technology to help their active duty personnel because suicide uh, is a bigger killer than even combat with the military right now. Hi. My name's Tori Burris. I run a vocational software engineering school in Tulsa, Oklahoma that teaches AR, VR web development. Um, so as we think about people that want to start or transition a career somehow into this space, and you all are talking about not only where we've been, but where we're going, what can we be doing specifically to prime this talent for the next era of this technology? I think uh, getting familiar with the engines that are being used, uh, Unity and Unreal Engine is a really great starting place. And Unity especially has a lot of free educational programs and a very active, supportive community to help your um, uh, students you know, get up and running. Uh, and it's, an, uh, it's our platform of choice right now. I believe human factors is an area that should be studied very closely if you want to oh. um, develop applications or hardware for the, this space because it's quite a bit different than what we're used to in our normal life. It's hard to relate to how users are going to interact. Oh, yeah. I, that's, that's a really good point. I would also recommend working with um, a UX prototyping tool like Shapes XR because even our own app, it's like little mobile apps or web pages floating in space. We haven't figured out spatial interactive design, and I think it's a huge um, opportunity to really innovate uh, in how you experience user interactions. 
So I know the topic of conversation has mostly been about goggles and glasses, but one of you had mentioned something about the kind of the auditory space and the layered reality. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that um, was me. So what is, you know, is that kind of the, the, the killer feature that Apple might have because they have such a big install base of AirPods? Uh -huh. Can we exist in this layered reality exclusively with audio? I would assume that's exactly where they're going. I also think haptics are untapped. I've asked every OEM that we work with, every device manufacturer, can you put haptics in the headset? I have some amazing stuff. I, I was so happy to see Sony do headset rumble, you know, because if you think about it, I don't know if you play Candy Crush, but you know when you clear a level and it does that kind of screen popping thing? It's so satisfying. Imagine something like that on your head when you clear levels. And so, anyway, but um, I think that, that uh, spatial audio combined with visual overlays, we're experimenting with a lot of that with the Niantic implementation of what we're doing and location-based interactions. Yeah, I think location-based with audio can be really powerful. Yeah, people walk and around, visuals. Well, people already walk around with the headsets in. So, you know, it's, there's, no, there's nothing you need to teach people to change their behavior. They're already doing the behavior. But imagine, like, um, doing mindful walking and you are rewarded along the way, do you know? Or leaving notes for people or little digital interactive elements for them that they can discover, yeah. I'm so glad you brought up audio coming from uh, video game space and mm -hmm. even other applications. It's always the last thing to uh, be addressed in yeah. anything that you make. Well, I worked on, I worked on Alexa games. So I worked on a, uh, audio only experiences mm -hmm. for Alexa, which is just a very different perspective coming into this, uh, into this space. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, it's cool. All right, thank you for the great questions. Thank you for the uh, great attention from the audience and for the panelists. Thank you for sharing so yeah, many good you. points of view. Really enjoyed it. Thank you.